Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On paper, you'd think this was going to be one hell of a train wreck. But then you listen, and you realize common sense doesn't have a party, an ideology, a stereotype, or a color. Can we be united again? Stick around, and we'll prove it. This is Doc in the Block. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Doc in the Block podcast. I'm sitting here with the world's greatest music producer, Big Brock Spencer, and the world's greatest NFL football player, Veron Haynes. How are you guys doing today? So, what's your brother? How are you? Doing what's awesome. Up? What's up? What's up, Good baby? to everybody. Morning, morning. How y'all been? How's everybody doing? Good, baby. Great, 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 man. You uh, some football? To Houston. Yep. Uh, Justice is playing... Uh, he's played Texas A&M this week, so big, big week. Block, who do you guys got? Man, you know, we're on the bye week, you know what I'm saying? So Malik, oh, okay. you know, yeah, 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 so Malik came home, you know, a lot of colleges been calling Coach App, and uh, so we're going to sit down with Coach App today, try to figure, okay. you know, try to figure out what we're going to do at the end of the year. Nice. Nice, yeah. nice, nice, yep. nice, nice. Well, Scott, where the girls at? Today? So I got both, both my girls are at choir camp this weekend. So okay. me and the wife have got some alone time. So uh, hopefully maybe we'll do some date night or something like that. But uh, uh, looking forward to the weekend. That's I'm, also, I'm also looking forward to today's show because we have one of the most amazing guests Okay. Uh, the incomparable Dr. Carol Swain. And I just want to uh, read. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about all of her <laughs> accomplishments or at least some of them. Uh, an amazing woman. Uh, she is um, earned herself five degrees. Wow. She obtained early tenure at Princeton University and full professorship at Vanderbilt, where she was professor of political science and a professor of law. She's a sought-after cable news contributor and prominent national speaker and best-selling author. In addition to three presidential appointments, she is a former distinguished senior fellow for the Constitutional Studies with Texas Public Policy Foundation, and she served on the Tennessee Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the 1776 Commission. She's an award-winning political scientist cited three times by the U.S. Supreme Court. She has authored and edited 11 published books and numerous opinion pieces for major national publications. Her television appearances include BBC Radio TV, C-SPAN, ABC, Headline News, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, and more. She's the founder and CEO of Carol Swain Enterprises, Real Unity Training Solutions, your life story for uh, descendants and her nonprofit, Be the People. She's a 
a mother, a grandmother, a great grandmother, and she currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee, and she is so graciously uh, given her time to us today. Uh, Dr. Swain, uh, welcome to the show. I got a applaud. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And you can call me Carol. And the most important thing that I've accomplished, those things are not listed uh, uh, in my bio. Uh, I think that where I came from, it has defined me and it has given me my ability to be successful. I was one of 12 children born and raised in rural poverty, in fact, abject poverty in southwestern Virginia, dropped out of school after completing the eighth grade, married at age 16. By the time I was 21, I had three small children. And um, people entered into my life and changed my life. And I ended up getting a high school equivalency, going to a community college and getting the first of five degrees. And I want to emphasize that the community college uh, is a great equalizer because pretty much uh, they will admit anyone that wants to better themselves. I did not have to have had a high school equivalency or GED uh, because they admit people without GEDs. But I started with a high school equivalency, wanted to be an artist, was told by my uh, advisors to be practical. So I did a business degree. I completed that in uh, two years and thought I would uh, manage a store at the mall. When I applied for jobs, I was told that I needed a four-year degree. And I went through the college catalog looking for the field that had the least amount of math because math was my weak uh, uh, area, given that I did not have high school math. Uh, I um, ended up studying criminal justice, but I made a decision, my own decision, to be an honor student, and I graduated magna cum laude while working full-time at the community college library nights and weekends. And so that's the most important thing. And I would say that being born in the country, uh, having to take responsibility at an early age, and also having parents, even though the home was dysfunctional, alcoholism, my mother never encouraged us to think of ourselves as a victim. And the messages I received was that if you got an education and worked hard, you could make something of yourself. I dropped out of school. I didn't know that I would get an education, but it turned out that I was encouraged by two people to continue my education. I was told that I was bright. And um, and I ended up you know, doing, uh, becoming successful because I didn't have anyone telling me that I was a victim because I was black and poor and you have children and you can't. Uh, I grew up at a time when we believed in the American dream, we believed in hard work, and we were not looking for people to blame. So, Carol. Hey, Doc, Doc, Doc who was those two people? Sorry, 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 not to cut you off, Scott, but who was those two people who, 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 who believed in you and, and gave you that inspiration? One was a medical doctor uh, in my late teens and early 20s. I used to do what could be described as suicide gestures. I would take bottles of pills and I would call someone and I would get rescued. It was clearly a cry for help because I certainly was intelligent enough to have figured out how to kill myself. I was even embarrassed by the number of failures. Uh, but it was a medical doctor 
who told me that I was intelligent, I was attractive, I could do more with my life. And um, he was Caucasian and he, it turns out, and I didn't know this until maybe five years ago that he was five years older than me. And uh, I reached out to him five years ago and he said he remembered me. He remembered our conversations and that he always wondered what happened to me, but he was not on social media and he had spent his life working and he had no idea. And uh, his wife uh, told me, they invited me to their home in um, Ohio, how excited he was to come home to say, you know, that I had contacted uh, them. And so now he's a part of my life. And then there was an African orderly from Sierra Leone that was at a nursing home where I was working. And he told me that he went to school with a lot of people who were not as intelligent as I was. I ought to go to college. And I hadn't thought about it until he planted that seed. And I would say that those two people changed my life. I can also say that from a spiritual perspective, that I always had a sense that there was something I was supposed to do. And I was always very serious. And I was, I felt trapped. And when I got into college and I started taking psychology, I learned about people who have a disease called delusions of grandeur. And I was so worried that that might be me because <laughs> I was in one situation, but I kind of thought of myself as something else. And so that's the backstory. Those two men, one was a, uh, was a Catholic and the other one was a Muslim. Uh, one was black and the other was white. <laughs> they changed my life. I mean, that's an incredible story because anybody looking at you to now would say, or, you know, looking at you today would say, Dr. Swain is the most put together person on the planet. I mean, you're an author, you're on TV all the time. You're a law professor. I mean, you know, you work at academic institutions with, with prestige Ivy league. How does, how did you get there from uh, somebody that was, uh, had a bunch of kids uh, at an early age and uh, was uh, attempting suicide? I mean, that seems like quite the leap. Excuse me. I was smart enough not to have a bunch of kids. I only had, uh, I had three, one died. And so I had two sons and, uh, and I've, I've been married twice. I married when I was 16, divorced when I was 21 or 22, remarried and then divorced again at 34. And, um, and so some of the time I was a single mother, I, um, I suffered from depression and I suffered from guilt because I could never understand why my life was better than my siblings. And when I was 16, married, by the time I was 17, my husband and I were uh, buying, uh, watching built from the ground up a brand new house because we qualified for a government program called FHA 235. All you needed was $300 down and he had his tax return and so we ended up having a brand new brick house that we watched being built from the ground up. And my siblings and family members always thought I was rich because I had more. I've never struggled the way they did. And I can tell you that it took me, I guess, until I had my Christian conversion experience in my 40s to switch from feeling guilty because I was successful to saying, thank God, me. And so I think about Joseph. I think about the people that God plucked from bad situations. And 
And for whatever reason, I found favor with God probably before I was even born. I think about Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you. And so I give thanks to God, but I struggled. Um, um, I, the suicide gestures thing, that went away once I started college. But after I got my tenure at Princeton and I was successful and I had done it all, got the early tenure I wanted, then I went back through uh, a period of depression, but not suicide gestures because I felt like I had worked so hard for what? That yeah. I didn't get happiness from all of those prizes. I was not sad. I, I mean, I, there was something missing and that sent me on a spiritual journey that took me through new, new age and Eastern religions. And I, I also should say, I'm no longer in academia. Once I became a Christian, the prizes pretty much stopped, the accolades stopped, and, um, and, and all of a sudden I became a marginalized person. And in 2017, I decided to leave academia and strike out on my own. I gave up my tenure. They did not push me out. They made it uh, kind of uncomfortable and I made a decision to leave. But I think that was God's way of getting me out of that situation because I have a much bigger platform now than I would have ever had in academia. Of your 12 siblings, Doc, what number did you fall in that line? I was second from the oldest, which meant you know, you're always taking oldest. care of me. Do you think that played a role in, 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 in pushing you to be like the more mature one, the more... Uh, uh, so we use words as, 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 as hard work, faith, uh, character, right? Out of all those words, what if if you was to pick one that describes you, your personality, what would that be? It's like... So it's a two-part question. One was like, did you think that one of those, uh, what was the word that would describe you? And then two, did you think being the second from the oldest help you to be who you are well, second from with the leadership oldest, qualities and stuff like that? Second from the oldest in a family of 12 means that you don't get to be a child. And so you oh. immediately start having responsibilities to, uh, of having to take care of your younger siblings. And I, I can remember, I don't know, I might have been four or five that I was trying to build a fire <laughs> uh, uh, to, to light the stove or, or whatever. And I took a piece of paper, <laughs> a, 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 you know, a sheet of paper, and I lit it. And I was trying to carry it from one room to another. You can imagine it flared up. I dropped it. It rolled under the sofa. And it, I could have burned down the house. But I was trying to build a fire. And I had burns on my body from being a child and getting too close to the stove. And, um, and you know, like you have, have a lot of responsibilities and chores. When I married at 16, I married a uh, neighbor that was a little bit older after we had moved to the city. And it was purely to get away from home. There was no love involved. It was just to get away from home. And I've been married twice. I've never had a wedding. And um, each of those uh, two marriages have their own stories. But I had a can-do attitude. Like if someone told me that I couldn't do something, they were throwing the gauntlet down. And so, uh, <laughs> and I guess I had a high opinion of myself in the sense that I always sought the challenges. And when I was in college and some of the black students would meet me and, uh, and greet me and tell me who all the racist professors were to avoid, I always signed up for them first. <laughs> <laughs> 
and take the problems what? on head on. <laughs> they were they they might have been more challenging, but I knew uh, if I impressed them, if I made a, a A or a B plus or something like that, you know, like yeah, I had an advocate, um, and um, and you know, like they they were not racist; they were demanding people that treated everyone by the same standards, and so. I've always done that, and I've only had one experience where it worked against me, and that was in graduate school. It was a white female uh, professor, and it was something about me that she hated or didn't like or she thought I was foolish because she screamed at me one day that I would never be able to change the fact that I was a black woman. And I thought I interpreted her statement as meaning that whether I knew it or not, I was handicapped. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of points there. One of the things that's interesting to me is you don't really go from broken to fixed. You know what I mean? As human beings, like we're all struggling all the time and we're always working hard to make ourselves better. And, you know, you kind of go up and down throughout life. And so, you know, you were talking about uh, you didn't come to faith until later in life. And uh, talk to me a little bit about how once you kind of crossed that threshold, how it improved your life, because that's something we see with a lot of our big timers is that once they uh, have a relationship with Jesus Christ and and our our father, that life becomes uh, easier to navigate. Talk to us about that. Uh, Yeah. And I can tell you what uh, happened For me, and I had a very dramatic conversion experience, and I don't want to go into all the details about it, but I didn't have, (laughs) mine was a a journey, and I guess we all on a journey, but I always struggled with shyness. Uh, When I was in uh, college, I would write out a question or comment, and I would read it, and I would be shaking, and my voice would be shaking. And after I had my Christian conversion experience, the Lord took away my fear. It was like a snap of a finger. It was gone instantly. And all of a sudden, I did not have to clutch the lectern. I could walk out into an audience. And he gave me a boldness because he impressed on my mind that he had given me a message bigger than me and that I should uh, share that message. And he also impressed on my mind that my story does not belong to me. My life story does not belong to me. My life story is about him and it freed me. And so for, for me, um, the and the depression left. The depression uh, went away. And I was never a person who could take antidepressants. Like I've tried uh, in my life, you know, Prozac and stuff like that. And it just didn't work for me because it made me feel artificial. And, um, and I found that after I had my conversion experience, uh, and during a time of persecution at, at the university, uh, I became, um, it's, this is a long story. There was a controversy. I wrote an opinion piece. It, it led to protests and, uh, my environment became, uh, very hostile and I knew my career was over and also knew as a professor, I don't care how many degrees you have. <laughs> There's not a big demand for professors with degrees. You're not qualified to do anything but teach. And if the people don't want you to teach, uh, then you don't, it's not clear how you're going to make a living. But for me, uh, the controversy happened late in life. And so I was able to take early retirement, but I did not have a plan. Uh, 
that was a time when I really appreciated the psalmist, David, how he was always up and down and all over the place. And I see uh, depression or being down some as so natural. It's not something that you should medicate away. You, you should, uh, you, what I do, if, I'm not, if something is causing me to be uneasy, I mm-hmm. sit and I reflect on what is triggering this, like what's going on. I get quiet. I listen and it passes and it passes very quickly. But I did uh, in 2017, around the time I took acad- I left academia, I would say between 2015 and 2017, the depression returned, but not like it had been in my youth. And I was so angry because I felt like it uh, was still in my Christian testimony because I had this neat little Christian testimony, how I got saved and the Lord removed my shyness and t- took away my depression. And then it seems like her, her it's back. My old familiar friend is back. But it was oh, never God. back with the same intensity. And my interpretation of it was different because I knew uh, that that being up and being down that some of that is just a natural part of life and it's part of it. yep. yes indeed you said some interesting stuff doc and 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 one you you told our audience too that just because you 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 suffer with depression that doesn't necessarily define you didn't let that define you and then when you found faith it's not going to get easy that's not what it, 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 it was about, but he, you, was fa- you, you, you found solace in the fact that you was able to manage it at a different level, right? So not only that, what I thought was very, very riveting, riveting, riveting was the fact that, 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 that you ran towards the hard, towards the difficult uh, professors that you, uh, that, 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 that you found challenging, that people told you that that, that, that was racist, that, that you didn't shy away from that, right? No, I so, had confidence. Uh, expand, ex, 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 expand to our audience on that particulars and 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 and, and, and give them uh, a opportunity to see how they can too can prosper from that. Well, first of all, uh, again, my attitude is. If someone says I can't do something, I'm sure going to try. I'm going to show them I can do it. And so uh, when that professor told me that, and he actually, uh, he's like a close friend of mine now. uh, And um, one of my biggest advocates throughout my life, because I was undergrad when I met him, he said that he told me not to expect to do as well. uh, uh, So this professor told me he was my advisor. Also, not to expect to do as well there as I had done at the community college. He said, based on his experience, students didn't do as well. And so when he told me that he was just giving me factual information about what I should expect, to me, it was like throwing the gauntlet down. And that professor was by no means uh, racist. So I certainly, um, I had a lot of confidence in my own ability. I don't believe that blacks are inferior. I, I was a hard worker. I studied. In fact, I purchased books on how to make A's in college, how to take essay exams, uh, how to study, and I applied the principles and they worked. I graduated magna cum laude. And while I was an undergrad, I started uh, a scholarship at Roanoke College in Salem, Virginia for minorities that was supposed to be an academic scholarship. The university, the college did not allow it to be at the time because one of the officials said, we don't want something that'll never be awarded because I wanted a B plus or better for the academic scholarship. 
But guess what? Uh, today, I mean, now in uh, 2023, um, the family, uh, the black family that I was involved with that uh, helped, it's in honor of one of my black teachers from the community college. I can set the criteria and I'm going to set it at, at a B plus or better, but also change it because it had become a need base where maybe they gave 20 people a thousand dollars. I would rather them give four people three or four thousand that have a B plus or better because I believe a B or better because I know that minorities get, you know, they can meet that standard. But at the time I was not in a position to dictate. Now I'm in a position to dictate because I'm like the last man standing. <laughs> so that, <laughs> but it's the so, Constance um, J. Hamler scholarship at Roanoke College. And as a senior, I wrote the proposal, went to Mr. Hamler. He was a mortician and his wife had been my English teacher at the community college and she passed away with cancer. And I asked him if he wanted to start a scholarship in her name. And he was interested. I went to the president of Ronald College with a proposal and told him that Mr. Hamler was interested. And he said, oh, I love the Hamlers. I, I, I knew them quite well. Or, or he, he knew Mr. Hamler. And Mr. Hamler became Ronald College's first black board member. I became the second black board member. And before Mr. Hamler died, he told me that his wife, Connie, always wanted to teach at Ronald College, but because of her race, she couldn't. And how happy she would be to know that there was a endowed scholarship at Ronald College in her name. Cool. Hey Doc, so uh, so what type of advice so what type of advice would you give the, the people that don't have the grab the bulls by the horn approach to everything? Like um like I'm working with an artist myself and her whole message is um is um like um it's like you're beautiful. Um, um, um like she's more I mean she's an artist, but she more like, you know, you know, she have anxiety. She uh she cope with depression sometimes, maybe sometimes. But what type of uh, advice would you give like young teenagers and young people that goes through um the everyday life, the social media stuff? Stuff like that. Well, what type of Let me you tell you what them? I feel because I have yes, grandchildren uh, in their twenties, and I have great grandchildren that are very tiny, and I fear yes, for them because I did not receive the kind of messages that they have received, and even my children—they were getting different messages, uh, but it was not what these young people are encountering. Yeah. And I was never told that I was a victim, and that because of my race or my poverty, what I couldn't do. And mm -hmm. I think that. Somehow we need to let our young people know that those messages are false, that they should not allow those messages to define them. And I believe mm -hmm. God puts dreams in everyone's heart. And there are people that have dreams and there are parents that have reported that because of critical race theory telling uh, blacks that they are victims and that systemic racism uh, will prevent them from achieving their goals, that they have abandoned their desires to be doctors or lawyers and teachers and scientists because they mm -hmm. think that the world is stacked against them. And they need to understand uh, that there are lies and that the people who seem to be your friends are not really your friends. And mm -hmm. those who are soft on crime that encourage, uh, you know, these youth gangs that go into stores and they grab all this merchandise 
or they beat up people because of their race, whether they're beating up mm-hmm. whites or Asians or killing each other. I believe that there are progressive liberals uh, in a particular political party, the political party that's been racist uh, since its very founding, that really um, they want these things to occur. And I also believe that if black people and black youth continue to be so violent and they continue to attack whites and Asians, that the same people who are encouraging it and letting criminals out, out on the street will crack down hard on every black American. And so I worry about my great-grandchildren in this society. And if we want to change the future of black youth, we need to let them know that their friends are not their friends and that they should not believe the lies that are being told, that, um, you know, that they are created in the image of God, that intelligence and uh, that that is not given out, you know, to one particular racial group. Uh, that if you actually saw the accomplishments of blacks during slavery, after slavery, uh, instead of focusing on systemic racism, what blacks can't do, if you actually knew the true history of black America, uh, black, young black people would be so excited. They would have hope. And I think that uh, the Judeo-Christian values that used to define uh, black culture and led to so much survival, uh, that has been sort of jettison from our society. It's hurt Blacks a lot. And there's something else that um, has hurt Blacks is that the progressives like to highlight the uh, Blacks that are in the LGBT community. So in the uh, Biden administration, you see uh, it is very valued to be a Black uh, lesbian, uh, uh, pro-abortionist. That is valued. And uh, and then you see the Black... um, uh, entertainers with their uh, sons who are transgender. I mean, those yeah. people are being touted as if they're role models. That's part of the destruction of the black family in my mind. You know, it's interesting, this concept of uh, projecting out there, you know, I always tell my kids, if all you see in people, if all you're looking for in people is hatred, then all you're going to find is hate. You know, if all you see in other people is racism towards you, that's all you're going to see. And you need to go into this world, uh, you know, projecting the qualities that we talk about being successful on this show, honesty, integrity, accountability, being a good teammate, you know, this concept of being anxious and depressed and everything that, that gets so much attention these days. And we talk about it as if it's some sort of dysfunction. And the reality is we're all going through this. And that's kind of the undertone of this show. Every human being has the same story. They've got things they're afraid of. They've got uh, gaps in their abilities. They've got things that, that are strengths. And, you know, I'm learning so much about this when I watch my daughter play softball, you know, she'll talk about going up to the plate and say, I'm so nervous when I'm at bat. And I talk to her about being nervous is normal. You don't think I'm nervous when I go into surgery. Sometimes I got a tough case and you have to learn how to use that energy to keep you focused, you know, to keep you awake, keep you alert, keep your mind clear and understand you're not abnormal. That's normal. And then the this idea that the world is out to get you, you know, she was uh, up to bat and it was a really good game going back and forth. And she had, you know, the bases loaded and the whole thing. She was there to be the hero. And she got a hit down the third baseline and she ran it out to first. And the f- third baseman threw the ball to the first baseman. And the first baseman was off the off the bag. And my daughter was clearly safe. And the umpire called her out. 
And I mean, the whole stadium was like, what are you talking about? That was off by a mile and everything. She came off and she was talking to, to me about it afterwards and saying how unfair it was that she, that, you know, that she was safe. And I said, in this world, when you leave it up to the judges, Sometimes the judges are not going to rule in your favor. And so anytime you can, you got to be decisive. And the other thing is, let's not talk about the fact that the umpire made a bad call. They did. But what could you have done to make it better? You could have hit a better ball. You know what I mean? You hit one that that the third baseman was able to get there and able to make a close play. And sometimes things just don't go your way. Don't sit there and say, I'm a victim. You know, it's not my fault. Uh, you know, if only somebody had treated me more, better, you know, I'd be, be more accomplished. That's not how the world works. And you need to have this ability to just, uh, you know, do the best you can, keep soldiering on, understand that things are not always going to go your way. And don't be looking for hate in everybody. I mean, it's so funny right. to me. Every time we do this show, it's like my two vet best friends are sitting here and I mean, we couldn't be any more different in a lot of ways, but we're also the same. And I mean, we enjoy each other's company, you know, our kids, are, you know, are in our lives and everything like that. And it's the way it's the possibilities that are out there. And then when we bring somebody like you on, it's like I know a lot of our audience is watching you and saying, man, you've had so many obstacles and you've been to the mountaintop, but it's not like a straight line to the mountaintop. I mean, oh, you no. became successful in academia and then you started realizing like, hey, these are not really my people and I'm not really fulfilling God's plan for me. And then you continue to move on and talk to me about this kind of life's just full of ups and downs and things are going your way one minute and then not the next minute, but certain behaviors you have that allow you to keep moving forward and being successful. Well, the first most important thing I believe that I have to say to your audience is that your attitude and what you believe about life is the most important factor that determines your success. And uh, you can be born into a wealthy family and still not be successful and lose everything. And you can come from dire poverty like I did and be successful, but it's about what you believe about the world. And, uh, and it's important to stand on your own beliefs. And I believe that those that uh, God has called or uh, people that their families are praying for them, you know, like you have, um, I, I have a meme that says, Jesus is my superpower. And, um, <laughs> and when I had my Christian conversion experience, one of the things that really helped me was that all of a sudden I had a church family. I was not doing life alone. And even today, when I do the things that I do, it matters to have people praying for me, have people praying for me from all over the world. That matters uh, significantly. And I do believe that the only way we change uh, things in the inner city is that people need to take responsibility for their own decisions and they need to reject uh, the hands of the people that say, I'm here to help you because they're not really here to help you. They're here to keep you down. And, uh, and I believe that we can do better as individuals, that black people can do better as a race. But part of my message uh, in my um, two most recent books, um, one was Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House. And the other one, the newest one, is The Adversity of Diversity, and it looks at how the Supreme Court's decision to strike down race-based um, uh, affirmative action uh, dooms diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. And I believe that the court made the right decision 
and that those programs don't benefit racial and ethnic minorities. They benefit the individuals that get jobs, but at the end of the day, they violate the U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause that protects all persons and, and the civil rights laws. There was a civil rights movement that was very successful in the 1960s, and out of that, we got prohibitions against race-based uh, discrimination, discrimination on the basis of color, creed, um, uh, nationality, sex, uh, and religion, and their disability. And so the law of the land is non-discrimination, and people like me benefited from the non-discrimination and the equal opportunity that came about because there was an effort to seek out talented minorities. And our society is at the point today that we should be seeking out, seeking out talented people, regardless of their race. Uh, we should be looking uh, in Appalachia and giving people opportunities. But I would argue that the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are in the workplace and on our college campuses, they are divisive. They pit minorities against members of the majority group. They leave workplaces worst off, and they take organizations away from their mission. Like every organization, every institution was set up to perform a purpose. It has a mission. It should not be social engineering. Yeah, you, you know the other thing, my you know my father used to talk about uh, you know whenever there was an obstacle in my way or I was being treated unfairly, my father would tell me, "So what are you going to do?" You know, and I'd be like, "What do you mean? What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Quit?" And I was like, "No, I'm not going to quit." And he goes, "Okay, then don't worry about it. You know, if there's something in your way, that's life. You know, stuff is in your way. Life isn't fair. Get a helmet. Keep working for it. And it's." You know, it's easy to say, but it's hard to live because well, when you're, you, you know, this. when you feel like you're in a sec, in a moment of being, uh, you know, mistreated, it's tough, but it is true. I want to say this is that I look at my life and the things that I didn't get, whether it was somebody that I thought I wanted to marry or it was a job. In fact, I, when I was working in nursing homes, I wanted to be a nurse. I applied to nursing school. I didn't get in. And I, I thank God, I praise God every day for all the prayers he didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer them. Because yeah. I always got something better. Yeah. I ended up with something better than what I thought yeah. I wanted at the time. It's a so great things point. don't happen to us, they happen for That's us. That's right. You know, That's it's right. it's funny. I just, I just finished watching uh, the thing on Netflix about the soccer player David Beckham. You know, and here's a guy, he's, you know, a good looking guy, plays professional soccer, plays for the English national team. And, you know, he marries a superstar, Posh Spice. And, you know, you look at this guy and you're thinking to yourself, well, here's a guy who's never had a problem a day in his life. And then they started <laughs> reviewing uh, uh, in the 1998 World Cup. He got fouled by this guy, Simeone from Argentina, and he kind of, it was a bad foul and he let his emotions get to him and he kicked, uh, he kicked him and ended up getting thrown out of the game. And so England had to play that game against Argentina down a man and England ended up losing the match in a, in a penalty kick shootout. And they showed David Beckham's life when he went home. And I mean this for like a year, this guy would be driving on the road. People would be coming up to his car, spitting on him, punching at his, uh, you know, punching at his uh, windows. Uh, he said, walking down the street, people would spit on him and, and his teammates are saying, you got to understand this went on for months and months and months, every stadium he went to. 
uh, you know, people were booing at him, yelling horrible things about his family. And I, I remember thinking like, wow, it's like, whenever you see somebody who has blessing, you know, you don't understand. They also have a lot of responsibility that goes through this. And I know Block and Varon probably can speak to this a bit because, you know, they're celebrity guys. And so they get some of that on the side. But the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter what station you have in life or what blessings you have in life. You still have problems. And I just remember looking at that going, man, I don't know if I could have handled that, you know? And the other thing is like the Christian faith comes important because no matter who you are or where you are, uh, the things that you have can be gone in a blink. Your health can yep. be gone. Your spouse can be gone. Your wealth can be gone. And yeah, the relationship that you have with Christ and his promises, that's the only thing you can actually stand on. And for people that don't know Christ, I would say that I was agnostic for a long time and God gave me what I needed to believe. And he gave me an experience that resulted in my, um, you know, becoming a devout believer. And it, and for people that wonder, is God real? Ask him to show you whether he is real. Just throw it out there and then wait. If you're sincere, yep. he will respond. Yeah, it's funny. My daughter has been struggling. She's got way too many AP classes. She's got music stuff with blocks. She's got sports. She's got a lot going on and she tends to be an anxious person. And so I'm constantly talking to her about don't start thinking of yourself as broken. Anxiety is a normal part of life and you're going to have to learn to deal with those feelings and understand we all have them. And she, you know, she asked me what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And I looked at her and I said, start the day off and pray. That's what we do. I pray to God for help. When I need it, you do it. And she came home yesterday and I asked her how her day went. And she told me, she said, you know, I prayed to God and I went to school and all these things happened, but I got through it and I got through the day. And I just remember thinking like, okay, that's really some real time uh, feedback on that advice. And it was, it was, uh, it was good for me too, because I had one of the worst days yesterday going to the hospital uh, which I don't like. And it has a, a lot to do with the way the bureaucracy is taking over healthcare. And so I really don't enjoy myself when I have to go to the hospital. Most of the time I'm at my own clinic and my own surgery center, but once in a while I have sick people, I got to go to the hospital. And when I reflected on the day yesterday, I thought to myself, I, in many ways I created it for myself because I woke up with a bad attitude and I was projecting that I was going to have the day that I ended up having. And I thought to myself at the end of the day, it's like, I know better. You know what I mean? I know better. If this, if you're going to go in with that attitude, it's kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you can have a positive attitude about what you're doing, you're going to start to see the good things in life. Yeah, that is so true. And I can tell you, sometimes I will agree to do something and I look at my schedule and, and I really don't want to do it. And why did I agree to do that? And I don't want to go there. And every time it turns out to be powerful, it's where God wanted me to be. The Doc in the Block podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 not for you all. But I'm just saying that I'm in teasing. general, I've noticed yeah. a pattern. of, the, And my friends have even noticed the things that I complain the most about, I really don't want to do. When I come back, I had the most powerful stories because that's exactly where God wanted me to be. Yeah, I, I always talk about my uh, my oldest daughter was uh, doing cheerleader when she was young, comp- competitive cheer, and she absolutely hated it. I mean, every day was just a battle to get her to go to practice, and she'd be fussing and crying and complaining. It got to be so bad, I was like, uh, Sydney, get your stuff together. We're going to go take a walk. And we started walking down the street, and I was like, listen, you made a commitment to do this competitive cheer. 
And, you know, I know you hate it, but we're not going to go through this every day. You made a commitment. You're going to fulfill it. And if you would just change your attitude, you know, I bet you would get a lot more, more out of this experience than you think. And when the season is over, you don't ever have to do it again, but you're going to fulfill this commitment. And they went on to win the national championship. You know, it's not that she loved it, right. but she changed her attitude and she got a positive uh, thing about it. Now, whenever she wears the jacket, you know, the national championship jacket, I'm always saying, hey, look, remember that? You didn't <laughs> want to do it, but, you know, you changed your attitude and look what happened. Good came from it. And, you know, the same thing happened to my father. He got to the end of his naval career. And, uh, you know, usually in the military, you can kind of put in like, I want to go somewhere. And he wanted to go back to Hawaii from the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go and retire in Hawaii because that's where we grew up most of my life. And apparently there were no billets in Hawaii. So they sent him to Korea. And uh, my father was like, well, wait, I'd, I'll just retire then. I'd rather retire here than go to Korea. And they said, nope, you already put your name in. You have to go. And I remember what a terrible experience that was for my dad. And he, he tried to use his, you know, he was a, a captain in the Navy and he was trying to use all his connections and everything to get out of the experience and he couldn't. So he had to go and it was, they were dreading it. And then when my parents looked back on it, they said it was one of the best experiences of their life. And more importantly, my youngest brother who really had a hard time, um, you know, making friends and just finding his way in this world, he found because it was a small community, he found uh, a bunch of people in his community that were engaged in theater and things like that. And he thrived. And then I would hear my father talk about it. And years later, it's like, man, I never, there was never anything I didn't want to do more than go to Korea. And he goes, it ended up being the greatest experience. And it worked out so great for my youngest brother. And it's another lesson about, you know, sometimes God has something in store for you that you're not expecting. uh, But Go into it with an open mind. And uh, I think that's pretty powerful stuff. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Swain, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. You are a true big timer. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show again in the future. Thank um, you. God bless you and all the work that you do. And uh, where, where can people find you on social media and all that? I'm on uh, Twitter as at Carol M. Swain. Uh, my website's at carolmswain.com and be the people news.com. Thank you so much for being with us. Big Block Spencer, Veron Haynes. Have a great weekend. Love you guys. Everybody, we'll see you next time on the Doc and the Block. Find us at our uh, website, bigtimers.com. That's big timers.org. Bigtimers.org and docandtheblock.com. See you guys next time. <laughs>